of all the briefings we've done, this one I think is the hardest. We're in the hardest period, including the back to the start of the pandemic that we've been in because with the pandemic, it was clear that you were fighting one enemy and there was a common cause to do that around the world. We, we were trying to beat a pandemic. What's going on right now with the uh, issues in Ukraine are just very different than anything we've dealt with. Coming on top of a financial crisis and a pandemic, it's created real challenges. Today, I want to focus on China and the rest of the world. And really, it's about how China plays this will determine a lot of the way the geopolitics, the economics, and the social aspects of the world going forward will be determined. And uh, I don't want to overplay China's role, but right now they are sitting in a in a critical spot. And when I'm talking about this, I'm really talking about their impact on uh, all three of those areas, society, the geopolitical dynamics of the world, and the economics that we're faced with. So let's jump into it. China right now is in a spot where they have clearly said they're facing new downside pressures and challenges with a lot of complexity and uncertainty. That statement sums up, I think, the the issues that we're feeling around the world right now of a lot of pressure going to against what felt like coming into this year, a more positive environment. We're moving out of the pandemic and starting to get back to normal flows. Now we're actually moving back into a period where um, the pressures on the economy, the pressures on the world are, are rising. And so this chart shows the GDP growth back to the 1980s for China. And since 2011, we've been in a, a, a slowdown in GDP that was actually a structural planned slowdown. It was managed by the Chinese uh, government to avoid the excesses that build up when you had such a tremendous economic miracle like they've had. And without the pandemic, I think you would have seen a steady state where they're moving to five, five and a half, then uh, 4% GDP growth over time, which is still strong GDP growth, particularly given the size of the economy. But what happened over the last year has created a lot of challenges, which we've discussed. There are a number of headwinds for China. Their approach to COVID, where their healthcare system was, how that's playing out is one of them. We know the property market issues that they had and the debt issues that, that are still persisting today and, and don't have easy resolutions for. It was clear the mood against uh, national champions, whether it be Alibaba, Tencent, the for-profit educations, really changed the way uh, investors looked at the Chinese market for a lot of uh a lot of certainty became highly uncertain when they went after companies that were global players the way they did. And it cost, you know, over a trillion dollars in market cap. Um, that's been a challenge. Their Belt and Road Initiative, which was a flagship initiative, has delivered very mixed results. And countries like uh, Pakistan have really rejected a lot of what they thought they were getting into. And what they're finding is countries are losing ports and air uh uh, seaports and airports um, have been basically uh, went bankrupt and China is the debtor has taken them over. Not a great situation. The demographic profile of China has been structurally a problem for some time and has continues to uh, hurt them and will hurt them uh, in our view for uh, decades to come. I think right now the big issue is the uh, the statement that was issued before the Olympics started, the joint statement of the Russian Federation, the People's Republic of China, talking about the new era um, 
and uh, the global sustainable development that we're in, they see that international relationships have to change because they don't like the mix between the West and and them. So that's a big issue. And I think their support of Russia has been hurting them uh, from an image perspective, even though they say they're not supporting Russia, they're not supporting anybody. Um, I think that issue is one that is coming to play. And how that plays out with corporations is a big issue, because I think one of the big surprises was how the Russian sanctions were um, supported by corporations all over the world, how aggressive they were without really the government pushing them. And I think China's really looking at the implications of uh, sanctions their way and what it might mean. So a lot of a lot of real issues. I want to just touch on them. Interesting about their zero COVID, when they had the spike up in cases, it coincided with the end of the Olympics and the start of the war in Ukraine. The numbers have come back down. They just locked down another city today. Uh, Bill, you, you've talked to uh, Glenn Grossman, and I think he viewed China's zero COVID policy is one of the economic headwinds for the global economy going forward because he thinks they are going to be in a period, the prolonged period of challenges. He's doing a call this week that I'm going to listen to, but I think this is one of the areas that um, China's not out of the woods on yet. It's not as bad as the press might make it out to be, but it's not a good situation given where they are with, with COVID. The demographic challenges are significant after a very strong run in population growth you started to see the effects of the one-child policy kick in as they flatlined. Uh, in 2020, in 2020, they had a, a new births of about 12 and a half million. Last year, it was 10 million people. To get to the right replacement rate for births, they need to be at about 28 million. So they're well below replacement rate right now, and fertility rates are way too low. And you add to that, they have another demographic challenge of um, the percent of women because of the one-child policy is is a little bit low, and there's a 35 million uh, gap between people, uh, males and females, that are single. And in marital age, prime marital age, it's uh, almost 18 million people. That doesn't set up for improving demographics going forward and layer that on an immigration policy that doesn't welcome immigrants, and you have a real demographic time bomb. So I mentioned the sanctions being a big issue, and China is not Russia when it comes to sanctions. I think everyone needs to be clearly aware of that. But you know what happened when the way it hit the Russian economy, and I don't think Russia thought the sanctions were going to be as effective and as hard because they didn't think that that the West was going to come together the way they did, particularly the NATO nations rallying behind it. But China is definitely not the same, and the impact would be far worse if we tried to go to severe sanctions even for China supporting the Russian economy. So I want to just show you the China's top exports and their export partners. This is a, this would be a devastating issue for the world if we went to a highly aggressive sanctioning of, of China, uh, in here from an export perspective and look at the countries that they're exporting to are all the countries that they're right now having some form of geopolitical conflict with, whether it's Japan and South Korea and Australia in the Asia PAC with the U.S., or whether it's Germany, the U.S., and uh, NATO nations as it stands to Russia. So very difficult situation to, and very different from the Russian, from the Russian one. When you look at their imports, again, uh, petroleum products, uh, whether it's crude or, or gas is going to be a big issue for them. That's a benefit because their relationship with Russia, but um, you can see how their import partners 
and their export partners match up as a as a challenge for them. And it really puts them in a dilemma for uh, how are we squaring off in, in the global economy today? China's desire is to be treated more as an equal, if not a superior to the rest of the world, but certainly wants equal billing with the U.S. right now and doesn't feel they're getting respected the way they should, which is why I think President Xi is in a very challenging spot to determine the PR battle plus the geopolitical battle he wants to fight with the rest of the world. Um, they view sanctions as a as a major threat, and whether Putin said it's a weapon of uh, it's it's economic warfare. I think China views it the same way. In two big uh, conferences, the first one was uh, last week, and Premier Li is one of the key voices you want to listen to. Uh, making a, a not-so-veiled threat of sanctions will hurt, and then uh, the rest of the world. And then even the uh, following the Chinese view of the call between President Xi and President Biden last week really make the case that sanctions are, are a, a very dangerous thing for the rest of the world. And they're positioning themselves as if it happens, it's not because of them doing it. Um, I think this is going to be a key area that we're going to have to see how it plays out. There are tailwinds for the Chinese economy, too, so I want to be balanced about this. Their financial strength they have to support their economy is quite strong. They are sitting with a lot of uh, foreign reserves that will allow them to uh, support their economy. They did not take the steps that other countries did, like the U.S., Europe, and, and uh, Japan last year, to put 50% or more of their GDP to work in terms of fiscal and monetary stimulus. China was much more targeted, which made their inflation pressures more manageable this year, notwithstanding the rise in energy prices. Their role in the global supply chain system is still critical, which is part of the challenge from the COVID issue is uh, what it might do to another round of supply chain issues. But we can't uh, we can't underplay their role in this area. They've exported their manufacturing and uh, infrastructure expertise, and they've done that effectively except as the Belt and Road is starting to weigh on some some other people. But I think the big issue right now, and it is a tailwind for China, is China is an alternative to the West. And a lot of um, autocratic nations, but not necessarily autocratic nations, but uh, non-NATO nations, whether it's uh, have found the U.S. to be displaying a lot of hypocrisy in their foreign policy, um, they view China as economic patronage without the moral strains that uh, strings that come along with it that the U.S. ties to a lot of our support. And it was really highlighted by the fact that uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salam uh, didn't take the call from Biden and reminded the West that um, while Saudi Arabia is lacking uh, many things, uh, options of where to get support is not one of them. And that was a unveiled threat that uh, they can go to China and other areas very quickly to get what they need. So this is a really complex geopolitical environment that's comp make compounding the uh, issues on the economic side, which are now flowing to social issues as we have uh, displacement and mig migration coming at a, at a fast pace. So for us, where do you put work to, uh, where do you put capital work in this environment? It's still a quality uh, focus for us. This is a period where is the bottom in or not is going to be raised quite a bit. And uh, I think you want to stay really grounded in how you're reacting to headlines right now. There's too much uncertainty and too much volatility still at work. So we favor staying at home in the U.S. versus going to the rest of the world. 
if you recall, at the start of the year, people were very favorable on Europe. Um, we were less so in that area, but uh, now I think Europe is going to be a, a real challenge. I think it's you want to focus on equities in this environment, in an inflation environment, over bonds. We've just seen in the last week, you've seen the 10-year bonds have lost about 4% of their value uh, from the 50 basis point move that we've had in this short period of time. There are opportunities, though, in the in the credit area, particularly in distressed credits. And even uh, Howard Marks and his team, I understand, were making investments in the Evergrande and some of the China property issues. You need to have the wherewithal and the time frame and time horizon and cash to, to be able to play those areas. So if you're going to take on high-risk investments, risk budget really appropriately in this environment. You guys know our feeling towards technology, particularly as it relates to electrification and digitalization. Big drivers, defense, energy, both fossil fuels and others are going to be essential. Commodities are going to be a real challenge, um, particularly if the East and the West bifurcate the way they might, even, even if it's not geopolitically as much, but even if it starts to get economic divides, that's going to create uh, scarcity on commodities. And you'll see stockpiling and other issues going on where countries are going to mandate um, how their supplies are used. I think that's going to be another threat that comes out economically. Um, industrial companies are going to be big plays. And I want to just add that right now we're seeing a lot of interest in M&A buybacks and dividend payments because companies are in a position where they're benefiting, but they want to return to shareholders so that they uh, can keep. It's one of the best options to have where to put money, particularly if you think your company is undervalued. So I'm going to stop there, Mark, and open it up to questions. I see we have some things in the chat. Great. Thanks, Stephen, as, as usual, setting the stage. Questions, comments? Stephen, the um, sanctions against China, wouldn't that be the equivalent of economic mutual assured destruction? I mean, it's just so so intertwined with the U.S. economy as well as the European economy. Yeah, you can't sanction China the way you sanction Russia, but I think right. the world's going to be faced with a, a really difficult choice, Adam. It's... It depends on how this war evolves. And I think, you know, at, before this formal 11 o'clock started, Bill asked me if I thought the bottom was in and on for equities. And it may be for the week or two, but um, there's so much, so many big choices uh, for governments to make that are fraught with um, the possibility for real missteps that I think you have to really err on the side of caution right now. I think this is an environment where you want to give up the upside, uh, a little of the upside to protect your downside, because we could, this could spiral in a way that, uh, that one miscalculation could take us down a path that we don't want to go, uh, whether it's militarily or economically. And, and, uh, you need really rational decision makers at a time that people are very emotional. So I think it's, it's, it would be mutually assured destruction for a while, but, um, so is nuclear war, too. So I think we're in one of those states right now where this this is what makes it so difficult, because you're really seeing a fight between ideology, too, um, that is hard to hard to deal with. And at the same time, China and Russia don't like the way the balance of power exists since the uh, Berlin Wall came down and really since the end of World War Two. And they want to get to uh, a new world order and how that plays out is going to really be 
left to be seen. It's going to take some time to make that determination. So not a clear answer, but it's really it's this is the hardest. As I said, I think this is the hardest period we've been in over the last uh, even back to the financial crisis. So, Stephen, the types of uh, sanctions that you see uh, that the U.S. would do to China, they probably wouldn't be direct. They'd be more of an indirect where they're going to be probably doing more onshoring back to the U.S. to kind of uh, hide the direct impact to uh, the sanctions. I think that's the issue with sanctions is with with China. When I showed the trade that's done between the nations um, and how critical these supplies are to everything, this is this is everything that uses chips, everything that uh, we use every day to improve productivity, to communicate, to run your governments, to run your businesses requires output from there right now that we don't have secured supplies for. So we're not going to get there unless they really it becomes a east versus west type of thing um or if they put too much support or give weapons to russia which they say they're not doing but i think i don't see this as a real issue because they are not russia um and it would be mutually assured destruction for the global economy but then the hope is that the leaders come out of that better than the rest of the people do and then you have an even better stronger position to work from and i think that's the same calculus that people use for regular wars so I think it is a real issue, and uh, I don't think we're prepared for it on either side yet. And I think the uh, Ukraine situation has highlighted the impact on this. And the other challenge for that is it's going to create some really strange bedfellows in that if Russia, which is in pretty good standing in the Middle East right now, um, creates another food crisis for them or it's perceived to create a food crisis for them, then that could change the calculus of geopolitics in that region as well. If they're successful in blaming the West for that, then uh, life goes on. So I think we're in one of those really unusual periods right now that you're going to see massive volatility, a lot of headline risk that people shouldn't uh, take the bait on. So, Will, you want to add a comment or question? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, Stephen, thank you for this overview. It's very insightful. I had a question on rare earth minerals, yeah. which obviously China is dominant in, and the U.S. is pushing towards a more the electrification yeah. of EVs. Do you have any insight? Will certain sectors potentially be untouchable in terms of sanctions, or is there any alternative that you see that's an upside for uh, uh, for the U.S. Toward, moving towards uh, sustainability? Thank you. Yeah, that it's a. This is a real dilemma because from the basically from the time the Berlin Wall came down, we made a decision in the West to favor capitalism over democracy. And we also had some of the environmental issues went to the side when we were really focusing on growing the global economy and everyone benefiting from it. And I think what you've seen with the sanctions on Russia is uh, they've done everything but energy so far. And there's discussions in the paper today about do we do we really bite the bullet. And uh, the issue is that you're cutting off your nose to spite your face in, in, in terms of Europe with energy. And right now, because of where the rare earths exist and where they're, met, where they're refined is very much uh, dominated by China, we're not in a good spot for that. The U.S. and others are going to start stockpiling, but there's really two Western mines that are of any scale, which is the Linus mine in Australia and MP. And 
and they're not able to scale up enough fast enough and we're too far behind in refining and other things, but that is a big push and there'll be stockpiling that goes on there. But I think it would be a problem for both sides because China imports to make the chips. They have to pull stuff out of South Korea too and Taiwan. So it's, it's, these are where the supply chains are so interwoven. It's going to be hard to separate. So you probably will have targeted, but if it goes the way it might go, that it's it's such a weapon for whichever side has the upper hand. Um, then you have to go and do you starve other people out because you choke off their food supplies and all that. It's this is economic warfare when you do the sanctions in a in a highly aggressive way. So I'm not sure how it plays out. It depends on how far the countries want to go. And uh, Stephen, uh, the fact that China is not a big oil or uh, energy exporter, how does that factor into what you were just talking about? And is that, you know, like, is there any? Well, they're a big importer, right? So because they're not an exporter, they're a big importer. And it is their, it's their top. I would, I would their top everyone top. to Bill, Bill Deutler's, uh he had some slides on the trade relationship. It came from the Russia-China yeah. angle, but mm-hmm. to that point. Yeah. So I, I think it's a, this is going to be a tough one. This is not, this is the hardest because it, when we were fighting the pandemic, it was a common enemy. There's no common enemy here and, and except, uh, you know, it, so it's, it makes it harder to come to a rational conclusion on. And there's been a lot of, a lot of bad blood over the last 20 years where people feel like they've come out on the short end of the stick, whether it was the U S doing it or somebody else doing it. And, uh, our foreign policy has not been clear, and the that's made it made it a challenge. Stephen, has has Kissinger weighed in on this of late? I've not seen. There was something over the weekend, I think, on Bloomberg, but I didn't see it. So, because I think I think you know we all see the world from our perspective. You know, the U.S., U.S., Europe, and be very curious to revisit that whole how China sees the world through a very very long, you know historical perspective yet they have to have stability it's been another you know tenant of the of the current regime there's been so many regime change because of weather a lack of hunger so i think i I think mark the interesting thing that uh, um it's actually hard to get now but um there was a joint statement issued by the russian and chinese government on february 4th that the only source I saw for it was the Kremlin's website. <laughs> and, and when you get directed to it now, you get cut off. <laughs> so you can't use it. But that, that letter was fascinating. Um, what they were saying. And it, it really is a, uh, a lot about the way the West has handled everything has been wrong and it's time for new, a new balance of global power. And, and that will give better representation to the rest of the world that's been not treated well by those groups. And you can't get that uh, report easily right now. And it was a fascinating read to give you the other side of it. Hey, Stephen, that was like, let, you know, February 4th, though, was like, you know, that was like before 9-11. This was right before. It's actually, uh, uh, Duncan, what's interesting, it was right before the Olympics. And it's when they they put out that joint statement before the Olympics started that yeah. you know, gave the Friends for Life and all that, which some of the uh, analysts that we work with, one that I respect quite a bit, says there is no way that they told uh, President Xi that they were going to start a war, that he would put the statements out as strong about his friendship with them. Uh, 
and it wouldn't and that he wouldn't have he's embarrassed right now because of it. And, exactly. Uh, well, so it's really pretty fascinating.